welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith, and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. God, turn with me, please, to, uh, let's go to um, Acts chapter 1, we'll start on Acts chapter 1. Our key verse for this uh, series has been uh, Ephesians 2.10, which you probably all know off by heart. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should work in, walk in them. He's actually gone beforehand and prepared that. That, that word's only used a few times in the scriptures. Um, uh, and, and it was like when Jesus sent his disciples out to, uh, to physically get the upper room ready. He said there's a place there that's already been prepared. It's already there. The furniture's all there. Just, just go and book it. So the Holy Spirit has actually gone out really in real terms in front of us in time because we all know like God's above time, all right? God's like the author of the play, okay? So he stands above and he sees the play and he sees your life here and he goes, okay. He said, uh, you're going to need some help over there. You're going to need a bit of provision over here. You're going to need uh, someone to back you up there. You've got a flat tire there and that person's, in, you know, you don't know how to change it and you haven't got your tools, so I'm just going to arrange it so someone comes to pick you up there. And he writes these things into our life. He, we, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good things, for plans and purposes that he's prepared that we should walk in them. thing is we need to walk in them. Eugene Peterson, the author of, is it the Living Bible? The Died of Message Bible? He said, and, and uh, he said he believes in prayer totally. He teaches on prayer a lot. But he said Christians actually need to stop praying about what they're supposed to be doing as much as actually getting out and doing it. Uh, have you ever tried to uh, steer a ship or a boat or something that's not moving? You just can't steer it. You rip the engine up, get it going, put a bit of power, get a bit of forward motion, you can then steer it. And that's what happens. I mean, there's a few things God can't do, and one of them is to tell you to do some more when you haven't even done what he's asked you to do. So uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And just to put in some context, the disciples were convinced uh, just in the last week or two of this that the kingdom of God was going to be manifest physically, temporarily, physically, not temporary, but in the flesh, in Jerusalem then because they they were used to God restoring uh, Israel backsliding God restoring it and so they had come to believe that Jesus was the Christ that he's the son of man as prophesied in Daniel and that he was going to restore the kingdom of God that that then that week in Jerusalem and that's why in a number of the gospels where Jesus is telling the story of and he's telling uh giving the accounts of the parable of the servants that had, had, had done well with the miners, with the amount of money that God had given them. And it says, I think it's in Luke, it says, he said this, this story on the way into Jerusalem because the disciples were thinking that he was going to restore then and there the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus was preparing them the fact because he said there was a ruler. There was a, a ruler who, who, who gave gifts to his servants and then went away for far, he says, a far land, meaning it's going to be a long time after this guy's, I'm going to be away and I'm going to give you these gifts. And so the, the image of the kingdom of God that Jesus was, had to portray to the disciples is in the first instance as the kingdom of God was now on the earth, in the flesh, that it would be a spiritual realm to start with, a spiritual takeover. Because you understand, Satan took over the world, Genesis 3. Satan took over the world from the authority we had, took it off. We gave it to him. Jesus won it back on the cross. And so the right to rule and reign on the earth was given to Jesus then and there. And he said, and then he gave that authority to his disciples. So in Matthew 28, he came back out and he said, Now, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go ye therefore. So when we go in his name, we have his authority behind it. Last week we talked about, you know, the police person up there and the, the exousious authority that they have. So we go out now. It's a little bit like terraforming. You seen those movies about terraforming? That's not when you go around going, blah, 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 scaring someone. No, terror as in land. Uh, you've seen them, you know, they land on some far off planet somewhere. Has anyone seen it? Or it's just, no one's seen movies on terraforming? <laughs> Guys, what genres of movies do you watch? All right, well, see, my wife's into sci fi. I'm a romantic comedy person myself, you know. Uh, thank you. All right, so Notting Hill, Notting Hill, you know. I'm just a girl standing in front of a man. Asking him to love me. But Linda is into sci-fi. So every now and again, we've got to watch aliens and these terraforming. So in, you've seen aliens. All right. Who's seen aliens? Work with me here, brethren. Work with Thank you. All right. So they're actually sent to... Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? All right. So they're sent to that far-off land to terraform, which means it's uninhabitable where they're landing. All right. And they set up little capsules that they live in. And they create an environment where they're living in there. And then they send out and they change the environment of the planet they're in so that other humans can come and live there. That's the concept of terraform. This whole illustration's just gone out the window, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you got it? That's terraforming. Well, the kingdom of God, to Jesus was, what Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples was this idea that the kingdom of God is real because spiritual things are more real than temporal and carnal things, but it's happened spiritually. Satan has been defeated. Your sins have been washed. We're whiter than snow. Glory, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and all authority has been given to him. Go ye for, therefore into the world. And our job is to terraform the earth. So here in this little mountain creek assembly, we have 60, 70 people, and God bless the guests, praise God for guests, <laughs> that, we, that, that we are building this little first stage terraforming community. Paul said he went around to the churches to strengthen the churches so they could reach out. So we're strengthening the church a little. And so we've got the love of God here, and people are starting to love on each other and, and encourage each other and stir one up. Uh, in the faith. And so this little terraforming community we've got already st starting to establish here. And now we're going to turn around and start to reach out out there. So terraforming out there. Not terrorizing, guys. <laughs> terraforming. All right? 
So Jesus says in Acts, says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And that would have themselves been staggering for them. So that power there is the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. They've already got the authority. So I'm giving you the actual dynamic power so that when you speak to those devils, if they don't behave, bang, slam, bang. I'd like to see in the spiritual realm. I'd like to see what happens there. Wouldn't you like to see what actually happens? Because we actually have that authority, which he had already given his disciples, Matthew 28. And here he says, now here's this dynamic powerful authority just wait you don't go out there just with the exousius authority it's like it's like if you're a soldier or you're a police person you say demon you stay there because whatever you bind on earth i'm going to bind it's going to be bound in heaven you stay there and that's the exousius authority we're doing that in the name of jesus but there's also this dynamic authority the bible says the power of god the dunamis of god was there to heal the sick we call it the anointing. That's right. You can call it the anointing if you like. I don't mind what you call it. But the Bible calls it the power of God. The dynamic. So we have that. He gave it to us. He said, go into all the world and be witnesses. Now, you notice he doesn't say to go into all the world and to witness. He doesn't say that. He said to be something. To be a witness. Well, 2 Corinthians 5 says, uh, we are ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors pleading with people to be reconciled. Well, before you do the ambassadorial thing, you need to be an ambassador. Uh, we, lived in, um, we lived in Canberra for the longest time. Some people would say any time in Canberra is a long time, but that's not true. It's actually a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. Uh, and friends of ours were opening an art gallery down in the south of Canberra, and she was Irish by heritage, so she invited the Irish High Commissioner to come and open the, the art gallery for them. So the, Irish, the High Commissioner is like the embassy, so Commonwealth countries have High Commissioners because officially we're all part of the Commonwealth, whereas America and Peru and those countries would have uh, ambassadors. So the High Commissioner is the same thing. So we went to this art gallery, and there we, we noticed uh, there was coffee and, you know, like little canapes, you know, little things with things that used to live on them. They're like brown and yucky and all that sort of stuff, little wormy type things or little shellfish, you know. And, and you had to eat them and just pretend you like them. Everyone pretends they like oysters, true? No, no one actually really likes oysters. They all just pretend they like oysters. <laughs> all right, so there, and, and then we, we noticed over in... Uh, you know, into the house came this lady. She was the high commissioner. We knew she was coming. And you could tell she was the high conditioner, high conditioner, <laughs> hair conditioner. You can tell she was the high commissioner. She just had this poise about her. You know, she had this presence about her. And she, she walked in and it's just like, she didn't have to impress anyone. She was impressive. Do you know what I mean? Christian, who knows Christians are impressive? We're impressive. Like, we got our act together, you know, because what Jesus did for us, you understand. We, we're the forgiven ones. We're the righteous ones. We don't need to sort of strive and stress and make, you know, imp, try and impress people. We are impressive because God has blessed us and chosen us. So anyway, this high commissioner walks in, and she was just impressive, you know, like... That lady's got class. You know, she would have been in her 50s, young, like us, you know. 
And uh, she was just impressive. And she starts up, and like all good Irish commissioners, she starts bagging the Scots. Now, we've got a young lady out there who loves Scotland, but I'm going to have to break this news to you. So this Irish High Commissioner, she says, she says, did you understand the Scots claim the bagpipes as their own? Why anyone would claim the bagpipes as their own, I do not know. But the Scots claim the bagpipes as their own. She said, actually, the bagpipes were invented in Ireland. We invented the bagpipes. And we packed them up and we sent it over to Scotland. She said, and the Scots just didn't get the joke. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and so she actually had this, she gave a very seasoned, very graceful presence, you know. I recommend, uh, the thing about being an ambassador, so we are ambassadors of Christ. Um, understand what a witness, even to understand what to go and take the gospel is. The gospel is become a very Christianese word, but it had very special meaning uh, uh, back in the first century. So, you, for example, they recently uncovered a text that says, the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And we think, oh, he wrote a gospel about Jesus. No, it was a declaration of Caesar Augustus's becoming Caesar, and this was supposed to be revolutionary, life-changing news for the, for the world. And so they wrote the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And a witnesses were sent out. to They ran across the, the kingdom to declare this life-changing news that Caesar Augustus had been born. And so Jesus, when he calls us to be witnesses and he sends us out, he's sending us out with this life-changing news news to go and start little terraforming communities around the world and, and bring the life of God to that place. You know the story of marathon, you know, every with marathons get run all the time, 42 kilometers, which is supposed to be the distance between the town of Marathon and Athens. And there's a bit of folklore, they don't really know how much of this is history or isn't history, but there was a, 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 a Greek soldier, and I think his name was Philippidus, Philippidus. Listen, if it wasn't Philippidus, it was probably Con. All right, but, but we'll stick with Philippidus. All right, and he was a soldier that was involved. Now, everyone, so the, the Persians had come over from the east, and everyone assumed that uh, Athens was going to be wiped out. Now, understand Greece wasn't a country then, they just had different communities. There was Sparta, and there was Athens, and Corinth, and these different local communities that were cities, there were city-states. Everyone assumed that Athens was going to be smashed by these Persians uh, because they had just been smashing everyone else. So this is 490 BC, 490 years before the birth of Christ. And so he, this Philippidus, uh, commonly known as Con, right, had, had in the days before had run up to... Uh, to the city of Sparta to try, and get, to try and get help from the Spartans. The Spartans wouldn't come because they're on a public holiday. See, they would, so that's where we get... Uh, Aussies actually come from Sparta. We just don't work on a public holiday. They had this public holiday for one of the guys, I think it was Pan, and the deal was with Pan is that if you don't work, oh, then he'll look after you the rest of the time. So the Spartans said, no, we're not coming. And they had to run back down and tell the bad news to... And everyone thought, these guys are going to be... Weak, you know, the, the uh, Athenians are going to be wiped out. But they won the battle. 
In the meantime, back in Athens, they were all panicking. All right, the word got to them that the Spartans weren't coming, and they were basically packing their bags. They were getting their photos off the wall, everything that's valuable, putting it in there, loading up the donkeys and the asses, and, and they're ready to go. And so they realized that they were starting to flee Athens. And so the rulers said to Con, he said, Run back and tell them. So he ran back uh, 42 kilometers back into Athens to tell the good news. And his. his his, his three words in English that, that he spoke, he says, joy, we won. And then he died. That's the sad news. He died, dropped dead. But the fact of the matter is he was a witness to the battle and he was sent to send out the gospel of this battle. All right? Now, the things with ambassadors is they look like ambassadors, you know? They look like ambassadors. You can tell the ambassadors. There's a little, there's a, if you go on a tour of Canberra, and we've got some friends that are going down there, I believe, in the holidays, a great tour is you get this, you get this uh, map of all the embassies and the high commissions. Anyone done that tour? Get the map. No one's done it? Good, I can make this up. All right. <laughs> you do a tour of the embassies and the high commissions, and they tell you, you know, which one's which, and you go, oh, there's the Chinese. And that. The real trick is, because I've been on this tour probably 20 times, because we used to take kids and everyone through it, and every time visitors come to Canberra, you know, the War Memorial Parliament House, look at the embassies, you know. So, but the trick is to actually uh, go to an embassy, park in front of it, and without looking at the sign, try and guess what that embassy is. Because the embassies always look like the culture or the country that they come from. So the British High Commission, of course, is very British. It's like square, like this. And it's very proper and there's roses and everything. It all lines up and it's on the main road leading in, into Canberra, all that sort of stuff over the lake. And there's Parliament House here and there's the British High Commission. Just they're looking very proper, prim and proper, like this. You know. The New Zealand High Commission has been borrowed from Australia. The Australians, that's not a true story, I'm sorry. Uh, the Australians built the Chinese High Commission. There was this deal between, you know, they'll build our, not the Chinese, the Chinese embassy. They'll build ours over there and we're going to build the Chinese one there. And you go and look and it is brilliant. It's huge and it just looks like China. All right? Not China that you break. It looks like China, you know, like, I thank you very much. You know, and there's one on the hill so in, in Canberra, you've got Parliament House, which is like you've got the lakes over there, and you've got Parliament House right on the hill, you know, and you've got the uh, Prime Minister's residence over here. And on another, the next hill overlooking Parliament House is this embassy, and it is right on this hill, and it is humongous. And it's big, and it's bold, and it's brash, and it's got huge gates all around it, and it's got these soldiers that stand there, and they're immaculate, and they stand there with their guns like this, and you, you can't go anywhere near it, but it's, it's huge. And there's acres and acres of immaculately prepared grass that all lead up to it, and there is the huge embassy like this, like that. You'll never guess which country that belongs to. United States of America. It's just so American. Now, I love Americans. I married one. All right? But it's so American. We're called to be ambassadors. And the first step in reaching people is to look and act like 
an ambassador. Now, that means different things in different cultures and in different countries. You understand that? In Nigeria, if you're walking around in thongs and shorts like that, you're a povo, you've got no, no, no life and all that sort of stuff, you, you look poor, and that's not a good representation of the gospel for them. And in Australia, uh, it looks something else. And we are to be and look and talk and walk and talk like ambassadors. Now... It's interesting to, to realize what uh, the non-Christians... A few weeks ago, we looked at statistics of non-Christians uh, out there, and there's, about, there's over 50% on the Sunshine Coast that believe they're Christians. Of the, of the, the non-Christians, um, there's around 20 30% of them who openly say, I'm open to hear about the gospel. So that tells me, guys, that... Of the, of the, of, of course, we know only 7% of the Sunshine Coast actually go to the church. The rest think they're Christians. But of those uh, who consider themselves non-Christians or are unchurched, one in three are open to it. And there's about uh, one in eight which are actually said, yeah, I'd be open to go to church. I, and, you know. So it's interesting just to look, take a step back and look like what an ambassador should look like for influences of faith okay so this this is this is statistics for non-christians unchurched and this is what they've said uh, for the who's influential in their life towards things of spirituality and you can see here the greatest influences of uh, on opinions of christians and christianity number one parents and family 57 percent of people say their parents and their family. So if you have unsaved family, if you have unsaved cousins, cousins, they say you're the biggest influence in their life. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. We were doing outreaches in Hindu villages in uh, Fiji, and they, they tell us, you get one Fijian family saved, they go like dominoes. Bang. And then the second one is friends and networks and people you know. Now, you put those two together, you've got... Work with me. 83, 82%? 82%. 82% influence is people we know. People we know who are unsaved, 82% of them say, well, some of those might be doubled up, but you know, well, the majority of them say that my friends and my family are the biggest influences on my faith. That means that someone that you've made a friend with looks to you as an influence for their faith. Now, we think it's media, and we think it's this and that, but it's not, it's, they're nowhere near it. Media, all the media is barely over 40%. Everything they read and see on TV, and that's, that's big. But the biggest influences are people we know, and can I put it to you? People we trust. And the first step in reaching your world is just to, to develop trust, so that they will trust you. The top repellents, so these are unchurched, these are non-Christians. The top repellents, now this is interesting. Uh, the top repellents, things that actually repel them. Repel them. Not just this is, uh, I don't really, that doesn't really turn me on. This, this is repellents. Top repellents are philosophical discussions and debating ideas. Well, there goes my Twitter account <laughs> right there. That is actually a repellent to argue some philosophical point or something, a religious point, you go, well, that's not quite right. You know, you really need to read your Bible. You really find out you know, what your Catholics believe or homosexuals or gays or whatever. You know, you go into hell. Just this philosophical argument with them repels them. 
We think people are one intellectually. They're not. People are one emotionally and spiritually. The top influences are family and friends, people I trust. The number one repellent is telling them they're wrong. Number two repellent is miraculous stories. Now, get that. Now, this is Australia. This is interesting. I believe in miracles. I absolutely believe in miracles. That's my faith. That's my heritage. That's what I've seen with my own eyes. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen videos of people raised from the dead. I've spoken to people that raise uh, people from the dead. Uh, and I've seen them. In Australia, it's a turn-off. Now, I'm sure it wouldn't be a turn-off if they actually saw it happen to them. I'm sure that's not a turn-off. But in your general conversation with people, that's a turn-off. And I think we're such this Western analytical mind. You know, we just, uh, just you know. It's not surprising, you know, because the Bible says, uh, it says that they, that in Acts, that, that they spent time with Jesus after resurrection, but some doubted. It's actually human nature, guys that we get very used to these things. I've been to the Crusades, I've seen them, T.L. Osborne, seen people coming out of wheelchairs, been to Reinhardt Bonnke, met with both of them, had Crusades where it's all happening, it's banging old. After about three of them, you get very tired of it, especially, I think, for Australians. Now, I'm not saying, you go and you pray for them and they get healed, it's different, but, but just trying to convince them because I've seen this miracle and that, they'll just think you're loony. This is not me, don't get mad at me. This is what the non-Christians say, all right? And then... Hearing from public figures and celebrities are examples that are examples of faith. So in Australia, you put a celebrity, a celebrity, a famous person up there, <laughs> it turns them off. You know? Uh, so, you know, who's that singer? Who's the goes to Hillsong in Justin Bieber? It's actually a turn off. Is he famous? Well, yeah. So it's 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 actually it does not persuade non-Christians at all. Australians are especially sensitive to fakes. And I think they look at us and they say, is it real in your life? I don't want to hear about that. And the statistics show that. So just throw up uh, the next one. Thanks, Tiff. So the top attractions to religion and spirituality are number one, um, this, notice the attractions are a bit lower than about half the size of the turnoffs. Okay, number one is seeing people who live out a genuine faith. So if you put that together, the biggest influence is family and friends and people in your sort. Seeing those people living out a genuine faith is the number one attraction for non-Christians. Number two, uh, when they experience, people experience difficulty in their life, all right, and that's a good one just to take note of. When you're experiencing difficulty in your life, trauma, life event, uh, events, deaths, births, all those times people just open up for the gospel. They start to think about the meaning of life and what it means to them. And number two, stories of, or testimonies from people who have changed due to their faith. Now combine that with the other turnoff, which is, was, so this is not the story of famous people. Guys, this is our story. This is our testimony of what God has done in our lives. And the most effective way of sharing your faith is to tell your story. But first of all, you've got to build trust. Turn me to, please, to Colossians 3. Evidently, this was also an issue in the new church. Because in sorry, Colossians chapter 4, um, 
We'll read this, then we'll read two over in uh, First Peter, and then we'll, we'll wind up soon. Colossians chapter 4. Uh, these are like the, uh, the modus operandi, the MO for ambassadors. All right, so they've gone into the world. This is Colossians. Peter's writing to the church as well. He said, this is your modus operandi. Just out of interest, just interestingly, in both these passages in Peter and Colossians, they first address the family. It's just interesting. They talk about husbands and wives before they go into this, and both of them make that an important uh, MO to get your home life in order. All right, it's just interesting. Just say that. So... Um, Verse 5, Colossians 4, verse 5, it says, Conduct yourselves uh, with wisdom towards outsiders. Now, that, we'll just stop right there, just camp there. With wisdom. So that tells me, guys, that there are, are the times that we can be very unwise in the way. <laughs> Who's experienced that? Very unwise in the way that we conduct ourselves towards outsiders. What Paul's saying here, what Peter says after this, is that you've actually got to lay a foundation uh, that, that people are receptive to hear from you. Come on, sports fans. Uh, you know, we, we need to be those ambassadors. We need to just be that, that witness. The easiest thing in the world, you get up in the morning, and actually both, of, both these uh, verses, they, they also tell you to, um, is it this one that says, sanctify Christ in your hearts, or is it the next one? It says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of, of the opportunity. These are the things that God has prepared beforehand that, that we should walk in them, and, and the number one way to walk in them is just to be there, and to be who Christ is has made you. Uh, that, that means that when they're falling apart and they're gossiping about the people around them, you just shut up and you just think something nice to say about the other person. You know, They'll watch, guys. They'll watch. And when they trust you, they will give you permission to be their friend. We're going to look for those cues. All right? Uh, as... Uh, let your speech be with grace as though seasoned with salt. So let your speech be beautiful. Let your speech be, be not, uh, not condemnatory. You know, they don't need to hear that, that how they've failed. We know how we've failed. Let your speech be beautiful. Grace means beautiful, charis. And, and seasoned with salt, tasty and preserved. So he's laying the foundation here of just how to look, and this is the MO for ambassadors, all right? So when you, walk in, when you walk in and you're walking out there and you're terraforming spiritually, the first thing we lay down is a platform of trust. They want to see in our lives that, we, that we, there's something different and that we have something different. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, who's more convinced, more persuaded, more his desires, more for their salvation than us, he'll trigger that. You give, bang, it gives them something, something to believe, something to say, something's different about this person. But then, here's an interesting verse. So that you will know how you should respond to each person. We, everyone, everyone loves their space, loves their personal space, loves their own, this is my life, I'm going to live my life. As soon as we start stepping into their life and saying, you're living your life wrong. You don't have this, you don't have that. Bang, the walls go up. Bang. 
And here it is. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy, the Holy Catherine Coleman would say the Holy Spirit of God. Telling us how to operate as ambassadors. He's saying, be a witness. Be it. Just live your normal Christian life. Have the quiet time in the morning. Pray it out. We've got a, a very um, threatening saying that's occurring around our house. I'm just looking to see if my wife's listening. Occurring around our house at the moment. I said, have you read your Bible this morning? So if I get a little fleshly, I wish I'd tell you now, it's very rare. All right. So have you read your Bible today? <laughs> Let's be that witness. But said, you notice the Holy Spirit said, to see how you respond. That tells me that non-Christians will give you a hint that they're willing to trust you. All right? Turn with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3 verse 15. It says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, now, this overlaps in many ways. It says, sanctify Christ. First thing is to sanctify, set aside Christ as Lord of your hearts. Be that witness. Live it. Say, he's Lord of my life. And then it says, always being ready to make a defense that is Apollo, Apollo, apologetic or something Greek. I know a little Greek. They run the delicatessen down at Calandra. Anyone met them? Yep. But it, it means to offer a defense, a reasoned account, okay, uh, for the hope to... Uh, to offer, to make a defense to everyone who what? Everyone who what? Who asks you. We are not about taking over people's lives. We're not about being in their face. But it will happen, guys. The first step is to build trust. The first step is to build trust in the people that you're witnessing to. I was looking for my little chart there. And you'll see the little signals that they've got. That they're starting to trust you. And I've just written on this just some reminders. I've got that verse that says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And my hints are, listen, just be natural and sincere about your Christianity. When I started in new workplaces, I soon learned that if they don't know that I'm a Christian early in the piece, like the later they find out about it, the less viable my witness becomes. Now, it doesn't have to be in their face, but they ask you, everyone asks you what you do on the weekend, straight away. They know you're a Christian. So I said, be natural and sincere about being a Christian. Be faithful in the obligations that you have. Refuse gossip. Look for opportunities to serve. It, 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 people will start to trust you. All right? And I've got here a, a permission, like when people start to relax in your presence and they just start to open up with you, you'll start to know that you've started to develop their trust. And Peter and Paul here, the Holy Spirit through them, are saying the first step, the first modus operandi for ambassadors is just to be who you are. Just be who you are. Don't be a different person in front of them than what you are here. Now, don't go through all this religious jargon, you know, but just be loving, be kind, be respectful, do your job well. Uh, one of the laws of leadership is the first, the first law of leadership, that means influence, is people will look, to see, they'll look at you and they'll look at you guys. And they'll look at us to see how we're living our life. Are we doing our job well? Do we do the little things? And people don't see it. And that, they'll look at us and they'll say something is different about them. 
And the Bible says they will ask. Now, even if it's not verbally, they're asking in their heads. What's different? What's different about Helen? What's different about Sue? What's different about Johnny? They'll ask and they'll start to trust you. This is evangelism made easy. Now, I know, I know there's, uh, um, what's his name, the, the Catholic, the, um, he said, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if you have to, use words. All right, Francis of Assisi. Uh, and and I'm I, not against using words. Sometimes that's been used as an excuse. The time will come when you have to use words because you've got to specifically form faith in them. All right? But our first evangelism is who we are. We are the ambassadors. Who knows I'm impressed by that U.S. embassy. Who knows I was impressed by that high commissioner from, from Ireland. Uh, who knows I was impressed by that Chinese embassy. They'll be impressed by our life. Friends, God believes in us. We are important. You are important. You've got no, we've got no idea how important. Being here is important. Meeting with Christians is important. We're terraforming our lives. Meeting midweek with Christians is important because we're, we're, we're building ourselves up to go out there and, and change the world. And people are beautiful. People are beautiful. Look at them as though they're beautiful. Look at the people, the people who are angry and hurting, and that they're, they're actually beautiful. They just, they've been hurt. They don't trust people. And I've always said, and I'll keep saying it, is one thing to believe in God. All right? Now, anyone can believe in God. Really. Just look at the world. It's amazing. Did it come from nothing or did it come from God? Anyone can believe in God but to understand that God believes in us and he sent us out to be witnesses, to be who we are. Hallelujah, praise God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about